When they say it never rains in California, I'm glad to see you guys don't have an issue with it and you came on out here this morning. My name is Steve Marici and I uh, have the wonderful privilege of serving here in our South Bay Church. Uh, really excited about being here today. Uh, didn't quite start out that way when I first got here. Uh, you know, they have these things called updates uh, from Apple from time to time. And uh, mine wasn't exactly uh, the same version of what we have here right now. So I, I think uh, the more I think about it, the more I realize I really am in love with the legal pad. Other than maybe some varying shades of yellow and maybe a different size margin, you know, the updates there are uh, something I can handle. <laughs> but with that, uh, I really appreciate our worship team and uh, even the song that kind of led into this this morning. And the thing that's so incredible is God has an awesome vision for each and every one of us. Uh, there's so much that God wants us to accomplish with Him. And, and knowing that we're a part of the church that has that kind of a focus and has that kind of understanding and seeing the impact that we can have in our communities and around the world, I know for me personally it's exciting to be a part of that. Uh, one of the things we have coming up here this upcoming week is, is men... Uh, we want to get beyond our past. We all come from various backgrounds, various cultures, uh, and with that, the assorted uh, realm of challenges. But uh, there's an incredible new series that we're going to be kicking off here uh, this week, Tuesday night, 7.15. We want to get the men on out to uh, prospect so we can get the workbooks in everybody's hands. We do have them in the back, but again, it gives us the ability as men to come together, have this incredible form of camaraderie. And getting, again, beyond our past and really working towards an incredible present, but even so much more so as we grow and mature in our relationship with God for the future. Amen? One other uh, reminder, uh, you'll probably hear it a few times today. Uh, what happens next weekend at 2 o'clock in the morning? What are we supposed to do? Yeah, we, we lose an hour. Whoever said sleep, if you do, you're going to be two hours late to wherever it is you're looking to be. But I uh, want to make sure you change clocks next week. And then on March 16th, we're going to be uh, meeting over in Torrance Park. So uh, get the athletic gear out and the barbecues and all that good stuff. Make Get your friends and uh, family members on out. Amen? We're in the midst of a series entitled Greater Than. And um, it's been awesome so far. Hopefully we'll continue to move in that same direction here today. But uh, we uh, had the opportunity to kind of look at the end of uh, the book of Luke, the beginning of Acts. Uh, John 14 in particular, where Jesus himself said that if we obey God and we're focused on God, we'll go on to do even greater things than he did. And Brian Craig talked about that last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago, uh, in that really kind of dispelling some myths and helping us understand how the Spirit works in our lives. The, the Spirit is a person, is male and gender, and we know at the point of baptism, once our impure bodies of sin have been purified through the waters of baptism, we're then a vessel that's worthy of the Holy Spirit residing within us. With that understanding, knowing that the Spirit leads us, it comforts us, it counsels us, it directs us, and it dwells within us 24-7 on a daily basis. Uh, Marco last week spent a little bit of time, we, as we saw with Brian, uh, let me see if we can pull up the, here we go. Uh, Brian started it out with my view. Marco's uh, portion of it was myself. And he talked about how the spirit, the spirit really changes our view, our focus. It helps us to see where our relationship to God needs to be and what he has done for us through Christ. How we be, be uh, transformed ultimately from being a, an individual that maybe feels entitled and expectant in this selfie culture that we live in 
and realizing that there's a lot more than an iPhone up to our face, letting all of our friends know what we're doing. And sometimes those uh, situations we know maybe aren't the greatest, but getting beyond ourselves, having a, a much greater degree of impact, you know, redirecting our thinking about others, thinking about others before ourselves, whether it's in the workplace, our neighborhoods, our relationships, on campus. And it's a lifestyle that is different, that kind of lifestyle, which ultimately leads us to the topic today, which is greater than my life. You know, I've got a story that I want to share, and you're not going to see me doing a lot of walking around today. I, I have a, as you can see, enough problem with this in my hand, let alone a microphone. But there is a, uh, a story that I want to share with you this morning to kind of kick things off. It's about a gentleman by the name of Ray Blackenship. And uh, this gentleman woke up one morning for breakfast, as he normally would, and kind of looked out at his window. It was in the summer of 1989. And as he did so, there was a, uh, a drainage ditch that goes through the uh, back portion of his property. And just these crazy floodwaters were, t- were sh- just ripping through, the, uh, through this culvert. And he looked and he saw a little girl in the water. So immediately, without giving any thought to it all, he responded to this particular situation. And he ran out and he was running along the creek. And he knew that he had a very limited period of time to get to her because this creek actually goes into a culvert that goes underneath the road. And it narrows into a very small tube. And then again, the, the flow of the water was absolutely crazy. So without giving it any thought, he managed to get ahead of her and he jumped into the water and he grabbed her. And again, the waves, the water was just going at this incredible pace. And he, he held on to her with one hand. And he, he knew he only had about three or four feet left before that they would be sucked through that tube. And he knew that ultimately with that, it would result in the death of both of them. But with his free hand, he managed to grab onto a rock. And he was thinking to himself, if I can just hang on until the rescue crews get here, the fire department or someone else to, to help us out of the water. But at the point in time that the fire crews did show up. He had already managed to pull this little young lady, Jessica, who was two years old, out of the water. He got himself out of the water. They were both treated for shock. He ultimately received the uh, Coast Coast Guard uh, Medal of Service for for saving this young lady's life. The thing that's most incredible about Ray Blackenship, which no one knew at the time, this gentleman couldn't swim. he realized there was a cause greater than just himself. Greater than just his own life. And seeing that willingness, and that, that really floored people. They're, they're, they're wanting to know what was going through his mind. That I mean, for many of us, you look at a, a water situation like that, even if we swim, we think twice about it. And here you got a guy that had no swimming ability whatsoever, but he knew he was the only hope for that little girl. It's incredible to see that he was that selfless in that situation and the impact that he was able to have on a number of lives because of that. You know, as a young man in the uh, Old Testament, to really understand that there was a, something in life that was greater than his own life, that there was a cause that he wanted to embrace. And the reason for wanting to embrace it was because of his love for God. And the young man was David. And most of us are very familiar with David and Goliath. 
You have this Philistine giant calling out threats to the Israelite army. Was there a response on the part of the army? This went on for days. No one willing to take a stand. No one willing to, to, to squelch the taunting of this Philistine. Really, in a lot of ways, an army that was full of cowards at that point. And that the issue here was, obviously, for them not to engage, they were much more concerned with self than they were even the nation of Israel. We're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. It says, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, as uh, Brother Eliab kind of took issue with uh, David ignoring his duties out with the sheep and kind of gets in his grill here a little bit as we drop down to the next verse. And it says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard them when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused towards David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And I think in a lot of ways as men, we're warriors. We we love seeing battles, whatever it may be, on the football field, the hockey field. Even watching military exploits sometimes, it's amazing what takes place. Yet here we have an army that was totally incapacitated. We had a young man that was curious as to why no one was willing to engage. David responds to him. What have I done now? Is there not a cause? David, not willing to stand by and let God be mocked. Is there not a cause? You know, and ultimately here, I think what happens is the whole picture is brought into perspective. Is there not a cause? So all this that they were involved with would have been nothing more than just an exercise in futility. Is there not a cause? Why were there thousands of soldiers standing around there in the trenches, polishing their swords and grooming their horses? If there's not a, a cause, do they really even need King Saul? If there's not a cause, why the tabernacle and the priest and the patriarchs, those tablets of stone that Moses had received from God and the altar? If it's not a cause, why not just surrender lock, stock, and barrel to the Philistines? And the issue was, because there was a cause, a cause worth standing for, David ultimately was willing to take a stand when no one else would. See, we don't need to realize that if we don't take a stand for something, we will fall for anything. And we live in an age today where there's so many distractions, there's so many things vying for our attention, there are so many things that are crying out to us just like that Philistine giant was to the Israelites, that we can sometimes lose track of what's most important. We can lose track of the cause that God has called us to. The thing that's really exciting for me is, even though there's so many things that come after us, there's so many distractions. You know, maybe it's fear of change, maybe it's fear of past failures. I mean, you guys can fill in the blanks. We all have our personal list that kind of haunt us from time to time. But what do you stand for? What are you known for? 
Because that is usually what we stand for. What people see in us. What we're known for. You see, David was willing to take a stand, though he couldn't be sure that he was going to return in one piece. No more than Ray Blankenship having the knowledge that he was going to be able to jump into this moving body of water without the ability to swim and save that young lady, let alone his own life. Yet we look at David, he was absolutely confident that his God was greater than the Philistine giant. And this this is the thing that excites me today. God is still greater than today, right here, right now. God is looking for men and women who see something greater than themselves, to which they can give their all to. God is looking for a man, a woman who will say, I want to attach my life to something greater than myself. I want to lose myself in a cause so great that my life won't matter as long as the cause succeeds. And you know, that's exactly what took place with the first century disciples. Disciples. We know that disciple is the same thing as Christian. They were followers of Jesus Christ. And there were men and women in that first century that were called by Jesus. And they realized that they were about to embark on a journey that was far greater than anything they'd ever been a part of before or could ever even imagine. And again, this is what excites me. A group of ordinary men and women, like me, like you, who took Jesus' last words to heart and filled with the Spirit, they did greater things than Jesus had done. Greater things than they ever would have imagined being able to do on their own. Filled with the Holy Spirit. What we're going to do right now is we're going to take a look at Jesus' last words. This is before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit that Jesus himself promised that they would be recipients of. And then that it needed to be an ongoing process. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I think we need need to pause here for a minute and just consider these words. What's being established here. The call and the mandate that Jesus has put out. You know, I can hear someone saying, but I'm not a preacher. Or, these scriptures, they don't really apply to me in this day and age. This was written thousands of years ago. I'm just an innocent bystander. You know, I just want to remind you that Jesus spoke these words to the same people who were made their way on up to that upper room later on, were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's about 120 people. Not all of them were preachers. But they were all filled with with the Holy Spirit. Now, why were they filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, one, God promised it. It was power from heaven. And that power from heaven was to activate them right then and there for a mission on earth. In Acts 1, verse 8, it reads, You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. You know, as we're sitting here this morning in Manhattan Beach, what does that mean for each and every one of us? You know, 2,000 years after that charge was given, in this passage that we see here in Acts. See, Jerusalem is home. 
if people hadn't responded to that calling, that's where it would have remained. Judea is the surrounding communities, all of what we're a part of here in the South Bay. And Samaria is the world. See, there's a level of missionary work that every one of us can participate, that fits every single one of us. But at the same time, why is it so difficult? Why is it so intimidating? So awkward for most people to call themselves Christians when it comes to really answering this calling. I think ultimately the, the reason is, is that it's because we think that it's something that's beyond us. It's greater than we are. And you know, the reality of it is, it is greater than we are individually. That's the point today. We serve a great God. We have a big message. We have an incredible cause. And you know, even though you can pull it up on Google and take a look at the whole darn thing and zero in on wherever you want when it comes to the world, it's still a big world. And with that, individually, it's so big that it's not something we can do by ourselves, on our own. And this is what I love about God. God is all-knowing. God knew that we weren't designed to do it by ourselves. God's not asking you to put the world on your shoulders. He's only asking that you attach yourself to something greater than your own cause. See, we'll never achieve what we really want out of life unless you attach yourself to a cause greater than yourself. See, when you reject the cause that God has established for us, you forfeit the opportunity for greater things. I want us to think about that. I really want that to resonate. When you reject the cause, you forfeit the opportunity to do greater things. And ultimately, with that, what happens is the vision withers. It dies on the vine. And I'm convinced that we'll do one of two things. We either become greater than our own individual lives so we can affect the lives of others, or we'll stay where we are right now and have absolutely zero impact not just even in our own homes. or You know, we can thank the world and community, but we'll have zero impact in our own homes. If we really don't adopt this as a, a daily lifestyle, if we really don't understand that there's so much more that we can do with God. So right, right now we're going to transition and, and take a look at a, a gentleman by the name of Paul. Most of us are familiar with the Apostle Paul. And you know, really in a lot of ways, Paul, Saul, we'll look at the transition was really headed for obscurity. You know, you think back when it comes to the Pharisees, any of the religious leaders from that day, how many names can you come up with today? How many of them had an impact that impacted history where we're actually aware of them and can name them by name today? And Paul was headed for that same degree of obscurity. And in Philippians 3, who was Paul? Well, he kind of gives us some insight as to some of the things that created some issues for him. I think one of the biggest ones ultimately is pride. I, I, I say even by this passage, this is after he became a Christian, he was still kind of puffed up on some of the achievements that he had that all of us look to in the world for, in some ways, meaning. And it's amazing, as you look at the overall term of his apostleship, 
He goes from being someone that, you know, had some rough edges to being one of the most compassionate authors of letters to the various churches that he was responsible for in his latter days. In this passage, Paul says, I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. See, as a Pharisee, he, he knew all the aspects of the law. He could recite everything to you by memory. And this is the perspective he had of himself. When it comes to anything that's ever been written, I've got it down. And I'm faultless. I'm flawless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. And we're going to move on to Acts 6 here and take a look at Paul a little bit earlier. Before he had become part of this movement that was greater than men, that was of God. We're going to start out in Acts 6, kind of a little history, a little background as we move forward here. But in Acts 6, verse 1, we know that uh, there were some issues. The uh, Grecian Jews were complaining against the Hebraic Jews and the needs of the Grecian widows weren't being met. You know, I appreciate the uh, 12 apostles and their perspective on it. They wanted to make sure the needs were being met, but they knew that their duties were, were much more important when it came to what they were a part of, which was something greater than themselves individually. So the twelve chose seven men full of the Spirit and wisdom to take care of those widows so they themselves could be dedicated to preaching and praying. And you know, for me personally, I'm proud to be part of a church that sees the needs within our family, within the church, that we see the needs in our communities. And that with that, and not just seeing those needs, that we're willing to do something about it. And that makes a difference here and abroad. You know, it was really incredible to see the, just the, the, the change in our fellowship right here in this room today. And our involvement when it comes to meeting the needs of the, of the poor. We had 822 volunteers last year for all the various projects that we have. Those volunteers served almost 8,000 hours. 8,000 hours of making a difference in other people's lives. With that, there were over 17,000 people that were served. I'm proud of that. It's awesome to be a part of something that's greater than ourselves. Amen? You know, these are some of the faces. The Champions of Hope, our foster care project, our uh, food bank, going downtown L.A., taking care of the homeless. Again, a cause greater than ourselves. And I just really want to commend you guys. for We're all busy. We all have busy schedules. But when you engage like that, you're not unlike Ray Blackenship that made a difference in someone's life because... It wasn't a matter of, man, I'm going to be inconvenienced here, or this is going to bother me, or, you know what, I'm going to be late to work. He engaged. You engaged on this level, which is incredible. You know, our, our, our work worldwide with hope, whether it's AIDS treatment and prevention in Africa, 
uh, the Malaya Emergency Maternity Ward in Afghanistan. You can see him, disaster response in Asia, Africa, North America, care for the elderly in Eastern Europe, diabetes medication and education in Australia and around the world, shelter and employment for the homeless in the UK and hope for the sick at the Sinoc Hospital of Hope in Cambodia. I mean, one of our own, Dr. Johnson, gets out there and volunteers to, to train and teach others how they can make a difference. And, and this is who we can be if we allow the Spirit to motivate and inspire us and move us and direct our lives, understanding what Jesus was all about. You know, we've got a blood drive coming up. I want to commend Clay Jackson. I mean, this is just something on his own. You know, pulled pull a few people aside and wanted to know if this was something we could do. And I'm like, hey, man, brother, I, I, I hope you have better luck than I. I didn't tell him this, but I had contacted him on a few different occasions. And he was tenacious, man. For those of you who are on the email thread, that thing was going back and forth like a tennis match. But it came in for a landing, and we're going to have the opportunity. I mean, they were looking for 30 people. We've already got 65 people that have volunteered to donate blood on that day. They're going to need to get a fleet of mobile vehicles out here at some point with all the blood we're willing to give for others. Amen? You know, we look at what's going on with the, the singles in our church. And we have this project down in uh, Tijuana, which is phenomenal. It's called the Orphan Love Project. Uh, Jackie Santos is the one that founded that. We've got uh, a number of the single brothers and sisters that, that go down. And they've realized it's important to maintain a consistency. These kids hunger for food. And they have need for clothing every bit as much as the need for relationships. I really want to commend the brothers and sisters that have made that drive and dealt with the border and all the other issues that are down there to make a difference in those kids' lives. And this is what we can be. This is what we're called to if we truly are Christians and we have the heart of Christ. You know, getting back to uh, Acts 6. You know, so after the seven were selected, we're going to go ahead and pick up in verse seven there. It says, so the God, word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. Now, keep in mind, Stephen was what? He was Greek. He was appointed to do what? Wait tables. I mean, you know, he made sure that the food was distributed. I mean, you know, he waiter, busboy. It's pretty amazing, the transition that we see taking place here. A man full of God's grace and power. He did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. A guy waiting tables. And I don't have anything against that at all. But what I really want you to understand is the contrast here. I mean, power, impact, being able to, to deal with his accusers, going head to head. And with that, with that wisdom and with that spirit and the stand that he took, Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin to be tried for blasphemy. 
And he goes on to, to share and preach one of the most powerful messages ever, walking through the history of the Israelites from the beginning to the murder of the Messiah at the hands of the Jews. I'm going to pick up, pick up in Acts 7, verse 54. <clears throat> so as the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage, but Stephen... Again, watch this. Full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. You know, sometimes when we hear the Spirit call, we cover our ears. And sometimes when there is that calling, it's something that may not be the most pleasant thing in the world that we're maybe needing to engage. But it's the right thing. And we've got the power to engage. Because we have the Holy Spirit residing within us. It says they rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man Named Saul. Enter stage left. Saul. So as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Acts 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses and agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And this is how the Holy Spirit works. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preach the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Again, were these men and women preachers? Were they apostles? Just like each and every one of us. Sean Payne, Mariah, Tom, Dave, Rudy. Just like every one of us. At a time that was so incredibly trying, persecution, being thrown into prison, you would think everybody would go underground, man. They'd hit the uh, remote on the garage door, they'd pull the shutters on their windows, and they wouldn't interact with anybody. But they knew they were called to something greater than themselves. You know, you think about the killing of Stephen, how incredibly depressing that must have been for those that were involved with him relationally. You know, it's kind of like what Marco talked about last week. You know, looking at the killing of Stephen, it's like that, that kernel of wheat. Yet yeah, what does that kernel of wheat produce? Stephen died, but the movement didn't. It became even greater, and it moved on to Judea and Samaria. Acts 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any man or woman who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul! Saul! Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He replied, But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand, and they led him into Damascus. You know, this has occurred to me. This is, this is kind of who we are prior to becoming Christians, isn't it? I didn't find this on myself, on my own. I didn't understand this on my own. I was about myself, going after what I wanted, feeling like the world was mine, but missing the point on how I was losing sight of what was going on under my own roof. How I was on my way to a divorce. How I had violated the vows that I made to my wife on the day that we got married. How I was becoming destructive relationally with my kids. I was blind. But it wasn't until Bruce and Ortiz came into our lives and literally took us by the hand and got us into the Word of God that the scales fell from my eyes and I realized there was something so much greater out there. So they took him by the hand and they led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and he did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in the vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he said. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. You know, needless to say, there was a little bit of trepidation on Ananias' part. He knew what, he knew what Saul was doing. And he was a little uh, perplexed as to why he was supposed to go to this guy that's killing the very thing that he stood and represented. But he went. Again, realizing there's something greater that he was being called to a cause where he had no idea what the impact would be, but we're going to see that here in a little bit as we go forward. So, so Ananias left, and he entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road that you were traveling has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. Immediately, here's a guy that's killing Christians. He's pursuing the church anywhere that it went. And this one interaction with Christ, this one interaction with Ananias, immediately he gets up and begins proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. And this is the call of every Christian. This is what every Christian is called to. You know, do you, do you call yourself a Christian today? As you sit here today, do you claim the name Christian? Then this is your calling. It's not a suggestion. It's not an invitation. It's an imperative that you must embrace this calling. This is what every Christian is called to. To love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. To love your neighbors. To make disciples of all nations. What are you living for today? 
Are you living for a cause greater than yourself? Your own life? Or are you living in a virtual world filled with video games and Instagram and Tumblr and Facebook? Are you willing to be part of something that's greater than yourself? Greater than your life? Stephen, from tables to us reading about him 2,000 years later, preaching the good news about Jesus Christ, having an impact. Priests came to the faith! That's amazing. Looking at Paul and understanding who he was as Saul. Now again, ordinary men and women, just like each and every one of us here today, who went on to do extraordinary things. See, for me, and I hope it's the case for you, this adventure is exciting. It's crazy. It's fun. It's all over the map. I never know what to expect from one day to the next. And I love that. I mean, wouldn't anything else be kind of boring? And I just want you to think about this for a minute. If you're bored as a Christian, you need to ask yourself if you've truly ever answered the calling. So we had Stephen, a man waiting tables who became a catalyst for the spread of Christianity. I would imagine as he got up there in heaven and he looked back, he's just sitting there scratching his head, God, you know, I wanted to be with you. I, I knew there was something greater than myself. I wanted to be a part of that. But who would ever have thought my death and the persecution that followed would have enabled the word to get out there to the entire known world? That's Stephen, the table waiter. Now, Paul, a man by the name of Saul, who would have gone into obscurity and said he goes on to be the great, have the greatest impact on Christianity of any one, mo- one man. These are the missionary journeys that he took. I mean, this is amazing. One man who was out to destroy God's church ends up being the very individual that helped to get throughout the known world, throughout the Roman Empire at that time. See, this is what's exciting. In our church, we're surrounded by ordinary men and women who with the Spirit can and are doing extraordinary things, having extraordinary impact here locally and throughout the world. Personalize this today for yourself. How will your story end? What will you be remembered for? What will people be talking about when it comes to you down the road, will they be talking about you? You know, Stephen had no idea what the outcome of his life would be. You know, Paul had an idea, but it was nothing like what he envisioned at all. And that's exactly the kind of stories that each and every one of us can write with our own lives. So it comes down to responding to the call and realizing there's nothing greater than the grace we receive through the blood of Christ. There's nothing greater than the cause we've been called to. It's greater than all of your time. It's greater than all of your money. It's greater than all your possessions. It's greater than your own life. Let's really think about that. And how's your story going to look like Stephen? How's your story going to look like Paul? What's the impact that's going to have on your kids and your family members Because today can be the day that you start writing that future. God bless.